SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. Today, as always, I am joined by Stefan Chin. Yo. What's your tagline? Some hot sauces are too damn hot. I agree. Sam Schultz is also here. Hey. Sam, what's your tagline? Skeleton bones. That's a little redundant. (laughs) I guess not. Like a bone can be, if you just like took my leg. It's bones. I don't make value judgments on any of your catchphrases. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Sari Riley is here as well. Sari, what's your tagline? Wet egg bad. I actually think a wet egg's fine. Depends. I'm wow, making a value now judgment you guys are here. judging Sari. <laughs> yeah. A dry egg sounds horrible. I got mayo well, on a sandwich when I asked for no mayo. That's like the specific wet uh, egg that I don't like. Everybody likes uh, mayo, though. Yeah. No, lots of people don't, and I don't get it. It's so weird. It's just like, like if mayo has a seasoning in it, then it's fine. But if it's just if like... If it's an aioli. Yeah. If it's an aioli, <laughs> yes. it's crossed the line to fine. But if it's just mayo, then it's goopy. It's taking oh up space God. on my sandwich. It makes it taste slimy and bad. 
Oh. Agree to disagree. And I'm Hank Green. My tagline is Motion Picture Association of America. <laughs> wow. This podcast is very PG-13. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. We play for glory. We also keep score with Sam Bucks. Uh, we do everything we can to stay on topic, but if you go on a tangent, which you probably will, we can deem whether it is worthy or not and dock you a Sam Buck if it's not. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sari. From a tender age, I loved a tender, that warm and crispy, mm. crunchy treat of fast food splendor, mm-hmm. that bite-sized chicken meat, mm-hmm. no matter the vendor, mm-hmm. whether round or long or dinosaur, mm-hmm. meat glued or carefully prepared for me, it matters not what I shove in my gob. I'm not mm. a snob. Each nugget I eat, I dream of more. Mm. <laughs> I thought it was going to be each nugget I eat, I dream of meat. If that's the topic of today's episode, that would have been good. That would have been better. Yeah. Been better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, I do love a chicken nugget mm-hmm. or a chicken tender or any fried chicken. Do you feel silly when you order chicken strips at a restaurant? Hell no. You know, it sometimes if it's a place that it's like, here's the menu and here's the kids section, chicken tenders. Yeah. And I'm like, but if you got them for the kids, you got, you got them for the grown up. Yeah. Yep. It's my no. constitutional right. Sari, <laughs> <laughs> what's mm. meat? It's flesh. Yeah, so but edible. for eating. Yeah. No, not is it edible. For it's eating? for eating. Well, is it still meat when it's on my bone and I'm alive? Alive. And I'm moving. Oh, you're and you're alive? Yeah. Like, do you look out at a pasture I mean, of cows and be like, ah, meat? Not, not really. <laughs> no, and when I cows. Google bodybuilding photos, I, I might say he looks meaty. <laughs> but I don't think of yeah. his, you know, what a big beefy boy. And this, your like well developed calves look very steak like. But I still like oh. I don't think of it as meat. No, I don't think it's, of it as meat. But that doesn't mean it's not meat. Uh, so what's meat? That's what I'm saying. It's just like edible, <laughs> edible flesh. It's, but also. Within, like, the umbrella of meat, there's dark meat and light meat, which are different kinds of muscle. There are variety meats or offal, which are the entrails and internal organs. There's lab-grown meat, which is, like, muscle Mm. tissue that people just grow in Petri dishes. You could eat something that is still alive when you eat it, too, Yeah, you could. So is it meat the minute what? You, it passes your, your lips. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's it. Do bugs have meat? Yeah, they got a meat. Bugs meat? A bugs meat? <laughs> a bugs meat. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell with words like meat and flesh that they're just sort of of an era. Mm. Flesh is definitely, I looked it up, it's very German, uh, but it mm. sounds very German. Flesh. Meat is also European ish, but Middle English, meta, Dutch. Meaning food, nourishment, sustenance. But it also, in Middle English, meant any sort of food. So, like, Hmm. vegetables were called green meat. (laughs) (laughs) And white meat was a dairy food or product. So, like, everything was meat. That's basically basically Arby's. Do you want some white meat on your meat? (laughs) With some bread meat? You can have some clear meat. That's water. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so meat is defined purely basically by the fact that it is food. There's yeah. no other yeah. non-colloquial way to talk about meat. I don't think so. I think it because it is defined by its relationship to and usefulness to humans. Right. Mm-hmm. Apologies to the vegetarians today. 
We might be reinforcing that they want to be vegetarians too. Right. And maybe convincing some other people. Because meat's pretty gross. It's super it's, gross. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You think about it objectively and it's like, we need to stop this. Uh-huh. It's bad mm-hmm. in all kinds of different Take ways. Take up space, treat animals horribly. That's right. What was the first meat? A fish, right? <laughs> Is that right, though? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Like the first, what does like, that mean? Like the thing, first thing a, a that person had ate. Fleshy. But if an animal eats another animal, they're eating meat, right? Yeah, that's okay. true. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what was the first thing that ate? Eat. Where does that line get crossed? You have to have bones for their Yeah, if I just swallow or... some bacteria, is that meat? Bacteria is not an animal, is it? Uh, I mean, so, so I guess it was the first, the first, whatever the first multicellular organism was. Was I, the first meat? No, because it's probably a plant. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Write to us on Twitter. What do you think the first meat was? <laughs> and now it's time for One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but two of those facts are big old stinking fakes. The other panelists have to figure out which is the true fact, and if we do, we get a Sam buck. If not, then Sam gets the Sam buck, because it's Sam this week. Tell me your facts. First, a little story. Okay, first tell me a little story. The New York-based scientific society, the Explorers Club, held a dinner in 1951 during Mm. which mammoth meat was allegedly served. I heard of it. A member who couldn't attend the dinner had a friend steal a chunk of the meat so it could be displayed in a museum. In 2006, a couple of Yale students tested the DNA of that meat and found that it was actually green sea turtle meat and (laughs) that the guy who provided the mammoth meat in 1951 was lying about it being mammoth meat. So that is true. Yes, that is true. There has been, however, at least one example of scientists eating an ancient preserved animal. So, which one of these? (laughs) Oh my God, scientists, stop. (laughs) Everyone's reputation is on the line. A 36,000 year old frozen bison cooked into a bison stew. A 42,000-year-old frozen foal, its shank braised and seasoned with wild herbs. <laughs> or number three, a 2,000-year-old mummified crocodile, its salt-preserved meat eaten like jerky. They didn't preserve um, it. It, it was, was preserved 2,000 years found ago. Found mummified. Preserved. Still, yes. And they were yes. just like, let's taste this. Why not? We got Why too not? many of these crocodiles. Let's mm-hmm. crack one open. One of these was an actual... Meat eaten by scientists, a 36,000-year-old frozen bison in a stew, a 42,000-year-old frozen foal braised with wild herbs, or a 2,000-year-old mummified crocodile that was salt-preserved, so it was just eaten the way that it was. Yeah. They didn't have to prepare it at all. They were just like, brush off the dirt. Mm, Still good. Jerky. So there's, I like this wild herbs thing because yeah. this this feels like what they do. They'd be like, how would you, how would you cook a fool if you were a 42,000-year-old bog man? That is how scientists talk. <laughs> uh, I hope they don't listen. Same with the stew where it's just that's like, what I, I don't think. know, boil it. If you're going to cook old-ass meat, stew's the way to do it. it. That's right. But That's braising something is a form of boiling it also in a Bra- way. Is braising you simmer boiling? It, you simmer it in a sauce. Oh. Oh. Did they have sauce 30-whatever-thousand years ago? Yeah. Sauce is a natural byproduct occasionally. Yeah, sauce happens. You, you heat meat up. <laughs> sauce, sauce happens? <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing to go on here. It feels like all these are equally possible. They found honey that's lasted 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. I don't know if jerky. I mean... I think it hmm. could. Like, if you are making something unpalatable to microorganisms, 
that is one way of it not degrading. But if it's over that unpalatable time. to microorganisms, I all feel... kinds of things are unpalatable to microorganisms. Okay. Pickles. But, you, but can, you can't eat a mummy. Can you eat a mummy? Some, somebody ate a mummy, right? Oh, mm. I don't know. Mummy eating was a thing in the in the. Victorian yeah, you're era. right. It was yeah. like a medicine. No. Right, they grind it up and put it on there. Plank steaks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said plank steaks, but I just want to say I don't know that that's a thing. A I plank steak. plank steak. The plank steaks are just the wood that they ate back in the Victorian age. Yeah, yeah we have plank steaks because we were really hungry. Yeah, yeah we're too wood poor meat. for plank steaks. Yeah. Tree meat. I'm going to guess the jerky one oh, wow. because... One of my favorite things is bog butter, which is like butter that they would bury in bogs and lasted for hundreds of years because yeah. it's it's basically wet and yeah mayonnaise. <laughs> I would not eat it. Well, no, I like butter. I don't like mayonnaise. Yeah, uh, but bog butter is not, not butter. butter. <laughs> <laughs> it's the butter that you know it's and love. Rancid. Yeah. yeah, it's been through a process. <laughs> I'm gonna go. So I like so these two first ones are frozen. Yeah, and I I just don't know that. There would be a frozen horse 42,000 years ago. I know that there were horses back then, and I know they probably lived in places that froze, but not like for a long, long I feel like bison have a better chance of being frozen for a long time. So I'm going to say bison. Okay. Oh. I'm just going with my gut. My first instinct stews the way to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> my answer is number one. Okay. So we've got two bison and one crocodile. It was the bison. Yes! Oh, oh God. Okay. Oh, nervous making. <laughs> Blue Babe was the name of the bison. It was... so you didn't have to name the bison that you ate. Uh, Blue Babe was a step bison discovered in Alaska in 1979. He had been killed quickly by a lion and insta-frozen oh. is what they think has happened somehow. Uh, while he was buried, his skin was covered with blue Vivianite crystals, so Ooh. that's why they call them Blue oh. Babe, because he was blue. And in 1984, as the team of scientists that were prepping him for a display at the University of Alaska were finishing up, they noticed that they had some chunks of meat left that they were still frozen after they found it. <laughs> and so the last night that they that they were working on him, they had a party where they made step bison oh stew with vegetables in it, and it. Uh, reportedly tasted okay, but a lot like dirt, so they didn't finish the pot of stew. That they made. <laughs> oh, no. You didn't finish the stew? <laughs> oh, come man. on! The foal. They did find a frozen foal in 2019. Oh, they he was preserved so well that they could extract the liquid blood and urine from it. Oh. It was 42,000 years old, yeah. the oldest blood, liquid blood sample ever. Uh, and they found it in Siberia, and they're trying to clone it, but they're not doing a good job. <laughs> and they're not eating it. And they, they didn't eat it. No, yeah, as far as we know. <laughs> well, maybe they did. chunks left over mm-hmm. afterward. Or make blood pudding or whatever. Uh, That's meringue. True. That's true, yeah. A meringue. Blood aioli. Mm. Ooh. Mm. And then the alligator thing, ancient Egyptians mummified all kinds of stuff, including alligators. And some of the alligator mummies have like their last meals in their belly. That Nobody's ever eaten one of them, though. But mm-hmm. they found 2,000-year-old beef jerky in China in 2012. Ooh. But it was really nasty, and they oh. didn't try to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did they know it was nasty if they didn't that's try to true. eat it? That's true. I don't know. Well, how that's do you point. tell if something is nasty? Like, have you ever yeah, opened the fridge true. and Give been it a like, sniff. this was a bad... <laughs> this isn't food anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. my facts. That was very good, Sam. Thank you. meat. <laughs> Next up, we're going to take a short break, and then the fact off.
Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Yeah. Aspersions. One of those. Aspersions. Yeah. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> you want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah. That yeah. bean's not going to grow. If if there's a constant drain on the the bean, that (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. <laughs> Different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription (laughs) companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot and now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop (laughs) wasting money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your (laughs) unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening. That all all that's building up around you. Oh, this is terrifying. I'm so, <laughs> I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right, Factor Ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door. Ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. Heck yeah, Factor. <laughs> Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. 
or you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. Welcome back, everybody. Sandbuck totals is very easy to report that we are all tied with exactly one. That's Whoa. nice. But Stefan and I have a chance to rack some points up. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was like a vocal dab. <laughs> sometimes mispronouncing words is funny, and sometimes, sometimes it's a vocal dab. It's like, you're 40. <laughs> so get ready now for the fact off. Two panelists have brought in science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. And you, presentees, each have a sandbuck to award to the fact that you like the most. And it is me versus Stefan. We're going to decide who goes first with the following question. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, which is the most widely eaten meat in the world, accounting for 36% of world meat intake? We want to go on three? Okay. One, two, three. Goats. You're both wrong. Chickens. Sheep. Fish. There's another animal. There's another animal. Pigs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, there's no more animals. It's all of them. Human flesh. Oh, pigs. Well, good for them. <laughs> I guess not, actually. They would disagree, yeah. Definitely bad for them. Uh, so, I guess I will just go ahead and go second. <laughs> okay, you go. Okay. So, my fact today is about animals that eat meat. You might know what they're called. Uh-huh. Herbivores. What? Oh. <laughs> so, apparently, uh, classifications of animals mean absolutely nothing. I mean, they do mean something. So, herbivores generally are animals that have physical adaptations that allow them to eat and digest plant matter. So, specialized teeth or specialized stomachs, those kinds of things. But while they primarily eat plant matter, that doesn't mean that they only eat plants. Mm-hmm. We've observed a number of species eating meat or other animal products. And there are a bunch of videos that have made the rounds online of like a deer eating a baby bird or a cow just like straight up nomming on a baby chicken. So it's kind of disturbing. I laughed. <laughs> you saw these <laughs> videos? No, but just uh, like the just idea the thought of them. them. Yeah, okay. it just is like hilarious up. to think of a cow just being like, welp. Yeah. <laughs> or like eating grass and then it just doesn't yeah. stop. Yeah, <laughs> but there's also been some research into this. So one team had cameras set up in Canada, I think for a different reason, but they had observed snowshoe hares scavenging meat. And so they intentionally, quote, deployed carcasses. So they put 161 carcasses around Deploy Canada. The carcass. And they found that the hares had scavenged about 12.4% of them from a variety of different species, including other hares. So they were not above eating their own species. Yeah, sure. And they ate lynx meat, which is their main predator. And they were also seen eating grouse feathers. I assume, like, intentionally, not just, like, as a byproduct of sticking your head inside the carcasses of of a grouse. Mm -hmm. 
And they think that maybe they were just trying to get protein from that, but I don't know. And another study in North Dakota had cameras set up watching bird nests and had seen a bunch of different predators stealing eggs and whatnot from the nests. But they said that white-tailed deer put some other predators to shame with how much they were raiding these nests for eggs and grabbing baby birds right out of the nests. No, Put your nests higher up. The deer (laughs) can't climb trees. (laughs) Yeah, use your wings, birds. Come on. (laughs) So scientists think this might just be happening because of how hard it is to find food in the winters, like just Mm -hmm. general food scarcity. Or in the deer's case, they might be looking for specific nutrients to help grow their antlers. I guess they've also seen like a lot of deer gnawing on different bones. Mm -hmm. But it seems to happen pretty frequently. And it could just be a thing that many herbivores occasionally do because it, there's an opportunity to do mm-hmm. it. And why not get some extra calories? It's much easier to get calories from meat than from, mm-hmm. like, grass. Like, yeah. grass, you need special adaptations. Like, a, a lion can't get, uh, or a human can't get energy from grass. Right. But, like, proteins are part of what you're digesting when you're digesting plant matter. And they're not that different in meat than they are in plants. <laughs> It's just that they're a little bit cuter. They did point out (laughs) that like deer, like because of the teeth adapted for eating plants, like they can't get through skin very well. So that's uh, like... Gotta go maybe if the they defenseless things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, mm. or just scavenging corpses or stuff. Maybe right. if te- deer had some teeth, they'd be attacking. That, mm. that could be fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I'm sure that's what how how carnivores happened. There were some deer, and then there was one that was like, hmm. my teeth are pretty sharp. <laughs> I should go ahead and eat Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Do they know anything about like the gut bacteria? Because I mm, imagine yeah. that eating corpses is not most pleasant thing for the the tum i don't know it was mostly the hairs that i saw that were eating that were scavenging from the corpses and all the other things that i saw were about like various things eating live small birds mostly yeah so it was like very fresh rabbits are not rodents right they're lagomorphs, okay. which is close to a Because they, like, eat their babies, too, sometimes, don't they? What? Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of rodents do that, where yeah. it's like, well... But I guess a lot of rodents are also, like, not necessarily just vegetarian or whatever. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we just classify rabbits as that too quick, you think, or...? It just seems like almost any herbivore will be a hmm. carnivore, will, like, eat meat sometimes when yeah. given the opportunity. It's just hard to get meat, usually. Right. But like you said, it seems like, Sari said, it seems like they would maybe suffer the same fate that we do when we eat raw meat. Like there would just be something wrong in there. Well, but not if you have a real fresh. Yeah, I guess you're right. What's that, tartar or something like that? Yeah. Okay, everybody. So salmon, what's... It's a fish. It's a fish, but it's also a color. Oh. Pink. And salmon is so connected with the color pink that uh, if salmon is not pink or pink enough, people will be less interested in purchasing it. Now, it turns out that salmon become pink because of their diet uh, of krill and shrimp. So these krill and shrimp have pigments called carotenoids, which carrots also have, which is mm-hmm. why they're called carotenoids, uh, particularly the red-orange pigment astaxanthin. But most of our salmon now, if you go to the store, comes from farms. Mm-hmm. Not It's not wild-caught. And those do not eat krill. They eat kibble that's made of mashed up fish and chicken fat and a bunch of other stuff that they put into pellets and then they put it in there and that's what they eat and if they just ate the kibble without anything in there the meat would be white-ish 
a little bit pink because because they're like a big, strong fish, mm-hmm. but definitely not like the pink of salmon. And what they find is that people do not like to shop for white salmon. So as much as 15 to 20 percent of a salmon farmer's food budget goes to astaxanthin that is added to their food. So that uh, astaxanthin supplement can come from two places. It can come from ground up shrimp or it can be synthesized. So you take petrochemicals and you do science to it and you make astaxanthin and then you put that into the salmon feed. The people who make astaxanthin have, of course, done a bunch of studies to figure out how much a variety of pinkness is worth to the average consumer. Uh, mm. And so they actually have a tool called the Salmo fan. <laughs> that's like, a, it's like the, you know, like the color swatches that you get when oh, you're yeah. painting your room. Ooh, yeah. And you hold it up. It's like a fan and you fan it out and you hold it up to the salmon and you can like see where on the pinkness scale yeah. this salmon falls. Oh, and if it's like below a 26, people will not buy it huh. at any price. Okay. And but then it like, is functionally tastes exactly. It's the, it's the okay. same. Now, there might be some health benefits to astaxanthin, but like it's very minimal. This and it doesn't change the taste at all. It is just about the color. And even when told that it's just about the color, people will not buy mm-hmm. salmon that is not pink. Except that there is a species of salmon, the king salmon, that occasionally has a mutation and it makes it a white king. So 5% of wild Alaskan king salmon aren't able to process the pigments and that makes them white. And so these were popular with natives because they were rare and they were like, this is like a cool, like we caught a special one. But for a long time, they were sold for a lot less because people, there was this like pink thing. But now people have like caught on that they're special. So wild white salmon are worth more now, whereas farmed white salmon are unmentionably bad uh-huh. to the point where they spend tons of money basically dying the They're salmon fish. pink from the inside. <laughs> Humans are so dumb. Humans are so dumb. <laughs> like, I I think I would do, th- I would be more inclined to buy pink salmon. I don't give a shit about salmon. Who, why, who has conditioned uh, me to care so much about this? I don't, it's just what salmon is. Like, salmon is pink. Yeah. That's, there's a color in the Crayola crayon box called salmon. Yeah. I did know about the color thing, that they added color to uh, farm-raised salmon, because I used to, once upon a time, worked in a meat department. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. And that was a fact that came up. You should have told us what meat was at the beginning. Yeah. No, yeah, so you have I, meat expertise. Meat and music. Those are the things you know. <laughs> These are the two things. <laughs> I thought I had a false sense of security going into research for this episode, uh-huh. because I was like, I worked in a meat department. I know something about meat. This yeah. is going to be easy. And I had such a hard time finding things. Caitlin called it classic meat department swagger. (laughs) 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 I read a little bit about the same thing happening just with regular cuts of meat. Like they put a chemical into, is this true? They put a chemical in with the, when they air seal the meat to keep it pink Yeah, carbon monoxide. Even though it doesn't matter if it's not pink, like... Right. But people won't buy yeah, it once it's, it's even a little bit. Yeah, it's just looking fresh. Yeah. Right. You can treat kind of sad looking meat with carbon monoxide and then okay. it, it freshens it right up. That sounded not true to me because I can't picture a grocery store having a bunch of carbon monoxide. We, it, it wouldn't happen I guess in store. Pre- okay. yeah. 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 That's probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got herbivores that are eating meat and we've got dying fish pink from the inside. Are you guys ready to cast your votes? Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Hank. Hey, I'm coming back, boys. 
<laughs> sorry, Steph. That's okay. Yeah, I knew Steph. I knew about the deers already, though. Mm, yeah. Mm. I hadn't yet pictured a cow grazing along, <laughs> hitting a chick, and just being like, "Yes, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> there was one report of a cow in India that ate like forty-eight chicks that someone oh, had observed. He just oh, like no. just kept we going. Those farm animals very need hungry. to all be friends with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read Animal Farm? Yeah. It's a bad book. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from at Tim Robinson 21 who asks, why do wild animals taste gamey while farm animals do not? I have no idea what gamey even means. Mm. I've, I've eaten plenty of wild so harvested animals, but they've all tasted good to me. <laughs> well, but they taste different. They taste than different eating. than farm animals, yeah. do they? I, yeah, I don't know. but so do like different animals. Like yeah. cow tastes different from a pig, tastes different from a chicken. Frogs taste mm. different from gators. <laughs> I'm from Florida. Very Florida. <laughs> when I was in Florida, I had the option to have like gator strips or something, but mm-hmm. they were more expensive than chicken strips and did not worse. sound appetizing. Yeah, they're yeah. worse. Anyway, gamey, I haven't tasted it either, but it's described as more metallic or livery mm. or mm. like it's like, there's like a qualitative taste difference yeah. between wild animals, which is like bitter or sour or like not bland right and then bland farm animals you saying that those animals all taste differently there is a quality of any wild meat that i've eaten that is not something i've ever tasted in any kind of farmed meat which is just like a metallic flavor flavor. but like if you had because normally it's like you're looking at like an animal that we don't have domestic versions of right like are there comparisons i guess between like a wild cow and a domestic cow right yes because there's like grass-fed beef versus grain-fed beef, mm. and there are qualitative differences between those meat according to yeah. people who taste meat and have oh. those refined mm. tastes. So is it about their diet? Like, because we're just like feed boring sugar to mm. all of these animals that we farm? So the real reason, as with any sort of smell or taste, is chemicals. So part of that is from what they eat. Because what they eat goes into the fatty acids and like the fat is the specific like flavor compound of the flesh. So more grain fed cows have oleic, linoleic and omega-6 fatty acids. So those are fatty acids that are polyunsaturated. So they have double bonds with them. And then specifically, there is a double bond six atoms away from the methyl group. Mm-hmm. This is interesting to chemists only. I thought it, I thought this was wild. And then we were like, omega-3 means something yeah. besides just like mystic fish oil. It actually means you, you have information about the chemical structure. But then in grass-fed beef or other gamey meats, there is specifically higher alpha-linolenic acid, which across mm. lots of studies like of African animals that have been eaten and cows and other things contributes to a gamey or fishy or grassy that sort of like weird flavor flavor yeah Yeah. which is mostly just perceived as weird because we're used to so many farmed animals Mm. so it's partially diet it's partially just like the amount of exercise they get so like dark meat is described as more gamey than light meat and so wild animals are more gamey than domestic animals just because they move around more. And mm-hmm. so they have more myoglobin. Yeah, I think, and I imagine the, the muscle. muscles are more vasculated. Yeah, mm. and they have less intramuscular fat. So in grain-fed mm. beef and domesticated animals, there's more fat 
throughout their body, which makes it more tender. And then right. it, there's less in wild animals, which makes mm. it a little bit tougher to eat. And then there's some evidence that like the stress can affect it as well. So in cows, I think they've noticed dark cutting meat, which are like darker than dark meat, which changes the flavor to be more sour and bitter. Huh. So they live stressful lives? And yeah. They, oh. Or like if you stress them out before they die, like if they're like living... Mm. their life grazing in pastures and then you like shove them into a dark space or like scare them i don't know how you scare a cow well i mean you probably shove it imagine going into a slaughterhouse yeah yeah pretty scary (laughs) meat literature very few and far between i have a niche niche yeah Yeah, because that was all about taste and a lot of it is really subjective Uh in a couple review articles i read no literature is available on volatile aroma compounds so like smell of gamey, mm-hmm. we don't know why some meat smells gamey and why some chemicals, but okay. like which ones? Jeez, just put it through the GCMS spec. Yeah, come but on, no it's one's, easy. No one's doing it. We need to Pay know about meat smells. We need to do some science. Feels like it would be pretty easy to do here in Montana, where <laughs> yeah. there's meat mm-hmm. all over. <laughs> um, probably a lot of scientists who hunt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I read blogs mm. of hunters mm-hmm. to do research. <laughs> cool. and it was very weird. It was uh-huh. like an alternate universe of people who who do things to meet that. Um, <laughs> that sounds bad. Yeah. <laughs> that you haven't done. That I haven't done. Huh. Yes, because I consume largely farm animal meat and I'm trying to consume less meat. This is where I found the most anecdotal evidence and the least scientific papers which makes sense i think but maybe montana scientists can do it like the preparation of the meat has a lot to do with its gaminess and from what i could Mm. tell Mm. is that there's something that you're supposed to do when you hunt to like put the corpse immediately like on cold stuff like to immediately cool it down or immediately treat it in some way right field dressing is what i saw it called Mm yeah and depending on how well you do that and like what you do can influence the gaminess of the meat and so like before we had good mass refrigeration techniques and things like that or if even if you just don't do this gaminess is a associated with spoiling so some lipid oxidation happens mm-hmm. during cooking but some happens when it's just like sitting there and it can make a sour or right. like more tender but more sour meat yeah. if you want to ask the science couch follow us on twitter at scishow tangents where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week thank you to at news with pew at misplaced vulcan and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week that's a good name this a time good name. yeah <laughs> sam buck final scores sari sam and stefan are tied with one i have three oh. which is good because i was you were tied with me tied with you <laughs> no the, you're not anymore <laughs> yeah. if you like this show and you want to help us out you can do that in a bunch of ways you can leave us a review wherever you listen that helps us know what you like about the show also it's good for those iTunes charts, I think, maybe. I you think can also... it's the only thing that's good for them. Review, please. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could, you could also leave your topic ideas for future episodes there. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from this episode or tell us what was the first meet. And if, finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell, tell people, people about, about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sarah Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced 
produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The cut of meat called pork butt or Boston butt is not actually butt. Oh, it's, it's shoulder. shoulder. Oh, come on. Why do they name it that? Old meat department over here. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really know. The name is kind of a mystery. Mental floss says butchers used to cut off shoulders, which were less prized cuts, pack them into barrels called butts which is how they got their name. Uh, but it could also just be using butt more generically as a big chunk of something. It's like a bit, but with a U. Like a bit is a little bit. A butt is a lot. It's like a roundish protrusion. Yeah. Well, the shoulder is kind of the butt of the Don't arm. start this kind of thing. <laughs>